0: Hello and welcome to another edition of It's Your Money, the podcast from Mayor Brownsword, where we navigate to calmer waters on the raging main of personal finance. My name is Andrew Harrison and with me as ever is Andy Mayer. Hello, Andy. How are you?
1: Very well, thank you. How's
0: things with you? Not bad. Have you got the heat on or can you not afford that these days? I can't afford it. I've got a
1: nice big woolen jumper on in April.
0: April is indeed the cruelest month. Today, we are reviewing the first three months of 2022. What has happened with inflation, with the cost of living, and the tax burden, and of course, how has Ukraine affected the stability of our economies? And if I told you on January the first that this is what was on the way, you probably would have pulled the duvet over your head, wouldn't you?
1: I pulled two duvets over my head so I didn't have to put the electricity on and lose half my <laughs> weekly wages.
0: We have two special guests joining us today from Morningstar, the independent provider of investment research. Mike Coop is Morningstar's chief investment officer for Europe, Middle East and Africa. Welcome back to the podcast, Mike. So to be here. And Dan Kemp is global chief investment officer at Morningstar. Hi, Dan. Hello, Andrew. How are you? Not bad. Not bad. Um, so let's start with the big question. It is very debatable whether we could have seen Ukraine coming, but the cost of living crisis and the inflation crisis, these are causing the steepest decline in living standards since the end of the war. Should we have seen this coming? So I think the
2: first thing to remember is that whenever... We're thinking about the future. We feel that we should be able to predict things. Uh, we, As we look behind us, we always see a very clear thread of history. And as we look in front of us, we expect to be able to uncover that thread of history in front of us. And the reality is that we can't. And it's really uncomfortable, but the future is uncertain. Uh, there's a whole range of things that can happen. We typically underestimate the range and also how often we'll be surprised. And that's just part of being human. So uh, the, the first thing to, to say is that you should never beat yourself up about not predicting something uh, into, the, into the future. The second thing to say is that what we've seen in the economy over the last few years is a very, very sharp turnaround from uh, the, the COVID crisis, uh, where obviously the economy was shut down deliberately by governments to try and control the pandemic and then rapidly opened up again. And as it opened up, of course, people who hadn't been able to spend money uh, for a year or 18 months uh, then were all able to spend at the same time at a point where inventories, so the amount of stock that companies hold, uh, were at low levels. And so that's created this massive bottleneck uh, that's then led to inflation. That's worked its way through the system. And of course, most recently, uh, we've had further energy uh, price spikes uh, because of what's happened in in Ukraine. And so given given that situation, the important thing to remember is, although it feels really extreme at the moment, and as Andy said, we're all reaching for that second jumper, At the same time, there's no guarantee that this inflation will carry on uh, into the future, that these prices will either stay high or continue to rise. We can uh, see some little way ahead, uh, but remember companies are trying to deal with these, with these backlogs. Uh, There's uh, policies in place to try and control inflation and so while inflation is one of the possible outcomes it's probably it's certainly not the only outcome ahead of us and it might not even be uh, the highest probability outcome ahead of us
0: let's talk a little bit more about inflation because it is the bugbear of uh, savers at least it's currently at a 30-year high of 6.2 percent mike how serious is our situation in britain at the moment compared to say previous inflation crises such as the early 1970s or even the early 1990s
3: it's Um, As quite a surprise, as Dan was mentioning, I I think um, something that hadn't happened for a long time has persisted uh, for longer than people were expecting, and we've even seen the Bank of England have to continue to ratchet up its own inflation forecasts. So clearly we're in um, uh, an ongoing environment where inflation, and particularly because of the Ukraine, energy costs are going up and we're all feeling the pinch some people do make a comparison with the 70s, but I think that's a bit uh, misguided. In the 70s, you had a heavily unionized uh, workforce and the cycle of kind of wage price spirals. You also had an economy that was super dependent on oil and economic activity needed a lot of oil. the the legacy of the oil inflation in the 70s is that the whole of the global economy had weaned itself off quite significantly just how much oil it needed to use. Fast forward to today, and what we've actually had is a lot more energy coming from non-oil sources. Um, So even though it feels like it's high oil prices causing inflation, um, actually the effect of that in our view is not going to be long-lasting. And that's because the massive investment that's going into non-renewable energy sources uh, is going to create, if you like, an increased supply of cheaper energy sources in the long run. Governments are legislating out the use of carbon emissions for uh, uh, transport vehicles. And if you're interested in buying a very good quality Volvo diesel, just speak to the <laughs> uh, So the, the fact is, um, it's not the 1970s in relation to, to energy prices, you know, going through the roof from where they've already gone. Clearly, they're saying higher than we would have thought. In fact, it's leading all the shale producers to pump as much oil as they possibly can and other entities. Uh, but at the same time, the oil that was in, in Russia is going to end up uh, pretty much in in, uh, in Chinese hands. They, they need oil. Uh, and so the oil that they were buying from countries like Venezuela is going to end up back on the... Back on the global market so i think that's an important thing to take away um we're not seeing this as a return to the 1970s by any means but we do see that there are these uh, specific factors that are causing inflation to rise now and they're hanging around for longer and the the, the war in ukraine is, is exacerbating them
0: andy i mean the logical move when inflation starts to bite is get out of cash if you're in cash but under these circumstances of a really unpredictable economy Move it where? Invest where? What are you advising?
1: This is quite a general point because obviously you need to take each individual circumstance into their own sort of personal circumstances into consideration. But we run funds that have an aim of beating inflation depending on your risk profile. So there's real return funds where you can actually look at if someone says, I need an income of this or I need it to perform above that. There are ways that this can be done and that we've got some excellent funds we use for this purpose But again, it's not a short-term measure. When you invest, it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. But there are funds that we use
0: that are specifically targeting beating inflation. Dan, the, the cost of living crisis is, of course, about much more than inflation. Energy is a huge part, as we've just mentioned. Boris Johnson's admitted that many people are going to have to choose between heating and eating. Many of us sat up late into the night uh, before 1st uh, of April trying to get a meter reading into the website so we didn't get overcharged when our own packages went up. How has our government in Britain let energy prices get so out of control?
2: Well, the thing is, Andrew, you know, let's start by acknowledging that it's an appalling situation for for people that we've had this this combination of rapidly rising prices at the same time that the government is trying to increase the, the money that it extracts, from uh, the population, in order to uh, fund the, the the NHS, which is obviously chronically starved of, of capital and time, w- where it's been incredibly busy over the last couple of years, and and also go some way to start addressing the debt that was built up uh, through the the COVID period. And so, there's the government is an incredibly difficult situation, uh, and so I, I think, don't think we should underestimate that. But clearly, where where we seem to be at the moment is that there hasn't been sufficient provision for people on uh, on on low wages or, or benefits, and the squeeze there is 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 just frankly appalling. So uh, the situation we're in is not unique to the to the UK. Uh, where obviously choices have to be made uh, by all governments, and so as I say, we can't underestimate how difficult that is. But this is a natural uh, hangover from the spending that happened during the COVID period. So during the COVID period, I think we probably all agree that the the, the government spending that kept people's wages going on on furlough while the economy shut down was a, was a very good and an important move, uh, but of course that leads to to massive funding gaps. Now, looking at some of the numbers that are coming out of the government at the moment, those funding gaps aren't as extreme as maybe people thought they were going to be because uh, we've had this rapid uh, resurgence in demand, which has led to led to inflation. Uh, but this is really a, a global phenomenon that's happening because. Governments have rapidly become uh, over indebted. And so so we're going to have to sort out government finances and and find a way to pay for the last couple of years. Now, of course, that goes hand in hand with the fact that we've become more dependent on uh, outside sources of, of energy. In the, in the UK than we were in the uh, 80s and 90s because of the North Sea oil fines and, and, and things of that kind. So th- there's a, a, a combination of factors, but I think we'd All agree that given the situation uh, people find themselves in now where as you say they could be faced with an appalling choice of of literally heating or that there has to be more done uh, to support those folks in in society and naturally that has to lead through uh, to a taxation response of, of some kind or a borrowing response and of course both have a longer term impact for investors.
0: We've seen a slow motion disaster uh, with the privatized en- energy companies over the past year. I mean, over and over, they've gone bust. I think there isn't one of us who hasn't received an email from their provider saying we're now in administration. How do you see the energy market developing in, in the UK for the private customer? Because we were always told shop around for a better deal. That's the whole point of a marketized energy system. Well, now those those deals just seem to have evaporated. And indeed, the companies seem to have evaporated.
2: That's right. We have. We've lost a huge number of energy companies that uh, were really taking quite a significant risk uh, in pricing energy at a, an energy cap, which of course was set by the government, and then not ensuring the cost of their, their input energy in the wholesale market. So these companies were, were set up, they were taking this risk uh, and that risk didn't work out for them or, or their owners, uh, but of course we've then seen that reflected in these companies that have that have gone bust now. I think one way of, of, of thinking about this is, in fact, the, the market has worked very well in the sense that uh, none of us have been left without electricity. We've been able to, to move from one provider to, to another quite seamlessly. And so in that situation, that's, that's worked. Um, we have seen this rise in, in energy prices to reflect uh, what's happening in the, in the wholesale market. That's, uh, that's a, a different problem but in in some ways the the market has been has been working and we haven't spent money as a population propping up uh, these energy companies that had made bad decisions in in the way they'd structured their their business so we've seen a reduction in competition uh, of course uh, and and that's changing the, the the market longer term that could lead to a lack of choice for for consumers which could lead to to higher prices but i think at, at the moment it's really that a uh, very high wholesale price that's leading to the, the situation we, we find ourselves in. But again, it's, it's worth remembering, as Mike talked about earlier, that energy prices are volatile. They're not just destined to go in one direction forever we've already seen uh, quite a sharp decline in the oil price over the last uh, few weeks as the as the market steadied following Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the sharp energy spikes we saw there and as Mike said you know an understanding of what's likely to happen in the energy market so we shouldn't assume the price of just moving in one direction will'll just move in one direction uh, for over the over the long term uh, but but nevertheless, we're in this uh, situation where the number of suppliers that people have access to is contracting. That may have an impact on, on price, it's certainly have an impact on choice. But actually, I'm quite encouraged by the fact that the that the market moved smoothly uh, as uh, we all lost our, our first choice supplier and, and had to move to somewhere else.
0: Mike, as Dan says, energy prices are volatile and not destined to go in one direction. But what they are is uncertain and business hates uncertainty. The cost of living crisis and the energy crisis has had a huge knock-on effect to business, particularly things like hospitality that are energy intensive. What effect do you think this volatile energy environment is going to have on the on the business recovery?
3: Well, the the, the most immediate challenge is the um, is the cost of gas, which has gone through the roof, and that's um, the part of the supplies coming globally from Russia which is going to be more uh, take more time to um, replace because you need to create the infrastructure in order to do it and that's either pipelines or LNG terminals which take time so Germany after it decided to move away from its previous policy of kind of peace through trade with, with Russia um, has now uh, approved uh, the building of these LNG terminals so that gas could be shipped in, and there's also um, consideration of pop pumps from Qatar, although you could just be sw- swapping one despot for another. So you might not want to be totally reliant on that. Uh, so there's some elements of what we pay here, which are really based on the global market, and those things will have to play out over time. Um, uh, and we don't really know uh, in the short term what that's really going to mean. Uh I'm going to slightly change tack here. I think actually, whilst the cost of energy is something that feeds into absolutely everything and has undeniably impacted all of us and all businesses, weirdly, it's been actually the rebound in COVID, which has suddenly contributed to some of the shortages we're seeing. And that's putting pressure on the labour market um, and service industry, and of course, that's Tends to be the dominant source of cost for services. It's what you're paying people to do the job. So, the real issue for us is really thinking about global terms, some of the shifts in the labor market. You know, we've had people who would have come across from Europe previously before Brexit, but now I don't want to, or it's difficult for them to come across, and there are limits on how many could. And, the, and as yet, the economy hasn't pivoted to the rest of the world, where there's plenty of other people who want to come and live and work in the UK, from India, from China, from around the world, but we haven't yet really got the visa system in place and set it up for that. So that's putting a squeeze on costs. People are really their choices about what role work plays in their lives and the sort of work they want to do, and some of them have decided that you know, looking at the deaths that have come out in COVID, that they don't want to do things before that they were doing. So there's a number of factors here which have put basically made it more difficult to find people to to do the jobs, and those who are doing them have been actually affected by this wave of COVID. So we've got a lot of short-term factors which are are having an impact and are are contributing at the moment to sort of pushing costs up at the margin for all industries and service industries in, in travel particularly affected because a lot of people were laid off and the industry just wasn't geared up for the rebound, you know, and there has been a rebound. And if you go to the airports and you look at the bookings, you can see it. Um, so that you know, that's causing inflation to go up and making life difficult for those businesses, even though demand picking up again.
0: Andy, another factor in this massively complicated situation we face so far this year is the increase in the tax burden. It's now at its highest level in 50 years. Senior Conservatives are now worried that they are going to become identified as the party of high tax. More voters in a poll recently, 39% thought that the Conservatives were the party of high tax rather than Labour at 27%. Who would have thought it? Do you think, Andy, we have to get used to the idea that Britain's going to be a high tax environment from from now on? And what what should we do about it as individuals? I think
1: Dan summed it up perfectly. We've borrowed an awful lot of money and it's got to be paid back. So it wouldn't matter really whether you've got a Labour government, a coalition or a Conservative government. This money we've borrowed through furlough has to be paid back. So tax is not coming down, I don't see. And I think what we've got to do is adapt the way we live our lives. And what does that mean? I think you've got choices on when you've got, if you know taxes are going up, you've got choices on where you do spend your money. But I think it's a very difficult task for Sunak to work out how tax is going to work because... The real cost of inflation is meaning people are taking home less. You've got the national insurance rise. You've got energy costs going up. And it, it leaves people with dilemmas of where they are going to spend their money. But there isn't anything that I can see that is going to see that tax is going to suddenly drop.
0: Let's talk about Sunak for a minute. I mean, his approach, I think the, the ringing quote that came out after the spring statement was, I can't do everything. He has been attacked for that you know, issue of failing to raise benefits for the very poor while saving up for pre-election tax cuts, even though he's got £30 billion of headroom, but for the economy performing better than he thought it would. I want to ask each of you, how, how do you think he's doing? Mike, how do you think Sunak's doing? Well, I
3: think that he is playing a very political game. The game that you play when you're in office in mid-cycle, is to be tough, raise taxes, cut spending, try and get the books in order. And that, you hope, will mean that come election year, you can you can play Santa. You can have lots of goodies, tax cuts, and extra spending. And indeed, effectively, in the spring budget, that's really what he was trying to say. I'm going to cut taxes um, in the year of the election. So there's a political game being played. Is it fair while well, he's playing to the people who he thinks will elect him are both the Conservative Party uh, faithful as well as uh, perhaps the swing voter? And he's making a bet on that. And clearly that bet is that he's seeing those people who will benefit from things like the fuel uh, tax being cut, um, who, who are sufficiently wealthy to have a car, um, as being you know, better politics than people who are really you know, probably on the, on the bottom one in terms of incomes um, and who are really struggling. And so you haven't had as much support there, even though he did have extra revenues coming through that weren't anticipated because of the economic rebound. So I think you could argue that political game being played is, is a bit cynical, but quite clever. But I think people are understanding those trade-offs now. And I think the electorate is sort of saying, hang on a minute, we're not happy with those trade-offs. And we feel that the lower the wrong should really be Accommodated more, so I think on that basis, no, it hasn't been a good performance.
0: Dan, I mean, fairness or wise politics aside, is the promise of cutting taxes closer to an election actually economically feasible?
2: Andrew, this is where we go back to the uncertainty of the of the future <laughs> and the fact that we don't know what would be feasible in a couple of years' time. But it's been an old tactic of chancellors to uh, pre-announce and announce and then told, tell you they've announced all good news, uh, and to try and get as much uh, news out of it, as many headlines out of it, as they possibly can. So it's not surprising that he's trying to pre-announce good news while actually announcing tax rises. That's just part of the political way. But I think the, the challenge... Uh, that he faces, that the country faces, is that people need help now. It's not about cutting taxes just before an election so that you can win over a few more people for a majority. It's an incredibly cynical way of uh, approaching your job as a servant of the people. And uh, while, you know, I, I think he made some uh, some great decisions and the right decisions are through the through the pandemic, uh, it feels like uh, the the needs of people there at the moment who are having to choose between heating and eating uh, are not being addressed, and they need help now. And and of course, the the thing that is often forgotten by politicians is people's propensity to spend. Uh, and so when uh, you give uh, tax cuts uh, to more wealthy people then uh, much of that tax cut goes into savings. Uh, it doesn't go back into spending. It doesn't support the immediate economy. Uh, whereas, of course, if you uh, support the incomes of the poorest, uh, then their propensity to spend, their requirement to spend is so much higher. And so that money goes straight back into the economy and, and circulates. And so there's there's good economic reasons why he should focus more support on the least well off in, in society. It's clearly the right thing to do. It seems that uh, he he's he's not moving their terribly quickly and so I guess if you if you had to uh make an expectation of what comes next then I imagine he'll be pushed to do more. I certainly hope uh, that he'll be pushed to do more. On the other hand, he may well be hoping that a decline in the log jams we're seeing in, in the supply chains and uh, peace in Ukraine uh, may help him out the hole that he's he's currently in, or, or more importantly, actually the hole that other people uh, are in at the moment. So it's terribly difficult when you're talking about about politics because the desires of politicians aren't necessarily aligned. Uh, to uh, the the people who are, are living and, and working uh, in the in the UK and, and facing these challenges at, at the moment. But, but certainly in his situation, I really wouldn't want to be in his situation. But in his situation, then I wouldn't be too confident about what he can do a couple of years hence and focus far more on what he should be doing right now.
0: Well, it's an immensely complicated scene before us, certainly the most complicated economic times I've known. Just to wrap up, how do we see the rest of 2022 playing out? Just uh, give us your short take, Mike, on how you think 2022 will play out now.
3: I think the range of scenarios is even wider than usual because of the uncertainty around how the situation in the Ukraine will play out and the the knock-on effect on how other economies will adjust. Clearly, there's been some wheels that have been in motion for a while to bring things back onshore um, in terms of supply chains, which have having a pretty radical impact, and the energy prices also stimulating some pretty significant changes in geopolitically. So we think it's very difficult to forecast. All we would observe is that on our analysis, where we look at whether it's time to take more, a lot more risk or a lot, a lot less risk than usual, and we look at investor behaviour, we look at whether it's, it's too easy or too hard for companies to raise capital and we look at valuations. On that, we went into the end of last year feeling um, like um, you know, the world wasn't really positioned for for risk um, uh, in terms of, you know, you were rewarded for taking that risk and you were better off uh, having a slightly cautious approach. But we feel that tracking what's happened over the last three months, investors have adjusted their expectations in a more realistic way. Markets have moved down. Um, Some of the silliness that was there last year with unprofitable companies, you know, being able to raise lots of capital, people borrowing money to investors, that's um, abated. And so actually we feel ourselves that because investors are becoming a little more rational and sanguine, um, we feel that actually it's a better environment
0: for investing. So it's not all terrible news. Mm. <laughs> that was an <laughs> equivocal. Mm. There, but I'll take it. It's the best we're going to get at the moment. And that brings us to the end of the podcast. Um, thanks for joining me, to Dan kemp Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Mike, for joining us too. Thank you. And of course, Andy Mayer. Now you and I will be back in a month's time. Are you going to be wearing three jumpers by then? Do you think, Andy?
1: If they are, they'll be green and white.
0: Hopefully, celebrating Celtic winning the league. Well, as long as it's a nice thick one, with plenty of warmth in it. Um, Listeners, thanks for listening. Don't forget, you can follow It's Your Money on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on whatever platform you use. The next edition will then come to your phone seamlessly. We hope you found this podcast useful. See you next time.